Morning, New Life Church. How are you this morning? Are you ready for Thanksgiving this week? It is good to be with you. If I had not had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Tim Shepard. It is not Brady Boyd. Brady Boyd doesn't look like he's 17 years old, okay? Uh, and I am the youth pastor here at New Life Church. So I get to hang out with the junior high and, and high school students. So um, one disclaimer before we start this message, this past weekend, we had our high school retreat. Um, so if my voice starts cracking in this message, it is not because I'm in puberty. It is because I've spent the last 48 hours yelling at your children in two degree weather. So I'm gonna have, have you bear with me over the course of the next 30 minutes. If you have your Bibles, First Timothy is where we are going to be this morning. Um, I have a little bit of like confession and moment of vulnerability with you today. I, uh, I grew up here at New Life Church and so I, I, I spent uh, so many Sundays, so many Wednesdays sitting out in these seats and, and watching the pastors. And before we were in this building, we were over in the theater. And I remember being six, seven, eight years old. And, and I would sit in my seat and I would look up at the pastor and I'd be like, Lord, I think you put it in me to do that one day. I think, like, I, like I, I think that there's something inside me that, that you made to do that one day. And when I was six, seven, eight years old, you know, like that's the point where it's like, you, all my parents told me was that like God wrote the Bible, like this is God's word speaking to us. And so I remember making that transition in elementary school where I, I got like my own Bible and it was like an actual Old Testament, New Testament. And you started seeing books of the Bible. And I was like seven, eight years old and I opened up to First Timothy and I was like, oh my goodness. God wrote me my own book of the Bible. <laughs> I remember like I started reading and I'm like, he's talking to a young, like this is me. He's literally talking to me. When you get to 1 Timothy 4, where he's like, don't let anybody look down on you because you are young. I'm like, yes, God. Yes, God, I believe. And then, and then he gets to my, when I was, when I was young, I, I used to have like stomach ulcers, stomach issues. And Paul talks to Timothy and he says, hey, take a glass of wine for your stomach issues in 1 Timothy. And I remember reading it going, you want me to drink wine at eight years old? Like that's how I'm gonna resolve my stomach issues. And I remember like walking around with such pride. Like I have my own book of the Bible. God wrote me my own letter because I'm that important. And then I remember I come to realize like it was written to a different Timothy. But I was so excited because I was like one day I'm gonna preach out of that book. And today is the day that I'm going to preach out of First Timothy. So. If you have your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1, we're going to read these first 10 verses, and then we're going to be off to the races. This is the word of the Lord. Paul says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. If you're tracking with me in your own Bible, I want you to underline this verse, verse four. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Verse six, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with the irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. 
For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. Church, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you that your presence is here and among us today. Lord, as we just got to sing over and over and over again, you are worthy. You're worthy of every song, every prayer, every word, every ounce of energy that we have. And so Holy Spirit, we need you to come here today and to speak to us. We need you to open up our eyes to the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to, you to open up our ears to hear your voice. As Paul says, faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. So Father, I pray you'd give us ears to hear today, eyes to see, minds to understand, and hearts to believe. And if you're with me this morning, church, can you say amen? A little bit of context heading into this moment. If you've been with us in our first Timothy series up to this point, you know that Paul has over and over and over again addressed Timothy to be aware of false teachers. And he's doing the exact same thing again here in 1 Timothy 4. He opens up with going, look, there are gonna be some who are gonna depart from the faith and they're gonna start teaching you these heresies, these things that aren't true of the people of God. And, and what these things will include is, is those who are going to forbid marriage and say that a believer needs to avoid marriage at all costs and, 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 and believers need to avoid certain types of food. And he goes, no, that's heresy. I can think of no better text for us to read the week before Thanksgiving, <laughs> right? Like come Thursday, two o'clock in the afternoon when you're sitting with just a beautiful plate of mashed potatoes and gravy in front of you and rolls and, and, and green bean casserole and honey baked ham because that's better than turkey. Turkey's so dry, right? And you're sitting there and you're having like your nutritionist like voice in your head saying, no, 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 no. Like that is forbidden. I want you to look at that plate and go, but God said everything is to be received with Thanksgiving. And it is not to be forbidden, right? Like this is the text for us to read the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Paul's going, no, 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 no. Timothy, I don't want you to listen to these heresies because you need to understand marriage is a gift from God and food is a gift from God. In fact, everything that is created by God is good. Everything created by God is good. Brothers and sisters, don't miss this statement. Okay, because this is the foundation and the beginning of good news. When most people begin with the gospel, they'll begin with, we were sinners in need of saving. And that is true, but that's not the beginning. There's a reason why Genesis 3 comes after Genesis 1 and 2, right? We don't begin our gospel with Genesis 3, the world broken by sin. We begin our gospel with there was a God who stands over all things at the beginning of time. And he made a decision in and of himself to create the sun, the moon, the stars, the sky, the land, the sea, the birds of the air, the beasts of the, the field, those created in a mago day humanity. And you know what Genesis 1 says he called all of that? Good. He calls it 
good. There is a reason why our Bible doesn't begin with Genesis 3. But hear me, there's also a reason why the Bible doesn't end with Genesis 3. Because even though God has created everything as good, and that is the beginning and foundation of our gospel, sin does fracture God's creation. But God has no intention of disregarding or throwing away his creation. The rest of the Bible shows us he plans to redeem it. Everything created by God is good. And if everything created by God is good, what Paul intends for us to see as we continue to read verse four is that everything created by God then is a gift. Look here at the second part of verse four. He says, and nothing is to be rejected if it is what? Received with thanksgiving. You know the cool thing about a gift is you can't earn it. You have to receive it. But just because something is a gift doesn't mean that we get to do whatever we want with it, right? A good example for this, parents, is when your child turns 16 and they go to the DMV and they get their license and they come home with that piece of paper because they don't have the little card yet. And you go, okay, here are the keys. Now you giving them the keys does not mean that they get to do whatever they want with the car, am I right? I'm willing to assume they can't afford the insurance yet, right? Like, like we, we, we are giving gifts, but that doesn't mean that the child gets to drive whatever speed limit they want. In order for them to continue enjoying that gift, they're gonna have to operate with that gift with parameters. They're gonna have to make it home by curfew. Another example for this could be when the senior pastor allows the youth pastor to preach in main service on Sunday. <laughs> pastor Brady said, here's a gift. Don't mess it up. Right? You need to come. Doesn't mean that I get to just come up and say whatever I want. A gift has to be stewarded. But here's the thing, and this is the beautiful thing about gifts: is gifts point to something beyond themselves, don't they? A gift, in and of itself, isn't what's awesome, though it can be awesome. But a gift represents that there is a relationship and a reality with a gift giver. Parents, you know this to be true and you'll know it to be true again here in about a month when Christmas morning happens. Come December 25th, your children are gonna wake up all too early, come running downstairs and they're gonna see the gifts under the tree and they're gonna be beginning to op open these things up and they're gonna, they're gonna be infatuated with the things that you gave them. But here's the thing, if you take away the gift but the parent stays, then odds are come next Christmas, there will be another gift under the tree. But you take the parent away and you keep the gift and come next Christmas, there is no gift under the tree. Gifts point to something beyond themselves. And what Paul intends for us to see here is look, if everything created by God is good and everything good is a gift from God, then we have to see that the greatest good that God has offered us or a better way to say it is the greatest gift God has given us is himself, is himself. Self, the most precious, the most beautiful thing about the gospel for one who follows Jesus is we've come to find this reality that the God of the universe expressed to us in the person of Jesus Christ is the greatest gift of all, right? Like the greatest gift that God gives us is himself. So the invitation is that Paul, or, or that the author of Hebrews gives us is fix your eyes on this great gift the author and the perfecter of your faith. But Paul doesn't end there. He says, look, this is the truth, so here's what you have to do. Don't get distracted. Rather, train yourself 
for godliness. Look here in verse seven. He says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. So in the context of this, Paul's looking at Timothy and he's saying, hey, I don't want you to get distracted with talking about all of these philosophies or all of these theologies, all these people who want to perform for the Lord. He's like, no, 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 keep your eyes on the good gift. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you were distracted? You notice how dumb we look when we get distracted? This last weekend, like I said, we were at a high school retreat and yesterday morning, I brought all the students together and I came up with this game called Steal the Turkey. I love being a youth pastor. You get to come up with crazy stuff like this. So this is what I did. I went, I went out and I bought six frozen 20 pound turkeys and I put them in the middle of a field and I separated the students, out, the students out into four teams at four corners of the field. And in each corner of the field, they had a trash can. And there were two primary objectives of this game. You are going to go into the field. When you go into the field, you're gonna go and try and get a turkey. And you're gonna try to return your turkey to the trash can. So objective one, get the turkey to your trash can. Objective two, don't let any of the other teams get their turkeys to the trash can. It's really simple. One offensive objective, one defensive objective. You know what I learned about Gen Z this weekend? They are all offense and no defense. There was, there was no care for the fact that the other team got a turkey and got it to their trash can. Everybody was just concerned with their own. And so we had this moment where I'm like, okay, let me scale down the game a little bit and just put a few people in so more people are aware. So I had three people from each team coming in, 12 people going in, and there's one turkey left. And this girl comes, this young girl comes into the circle and she grabs the turkey and she's holding the turkey. And this is a, this is a snow covered field and she's having to like ascend the hill to make it to her trash can. And there's one leader who is concerned with her getting her turkey to the trash can. So he's sitting there and he's watching her. He's not letting her leave. And so what happens is her teammate comes in. He comes running in just boo, to, 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 to pull the leader off. And so all of a sudden this leader gets his eyes off the primary objective and turns and starts dealing with this other leader. And you know what she does? She just, she didn't even run. She didn't even have to hustle because he was distracted. She dropped it right into her trash can. And what Paul's saying is he's going, Timothy, don't do that. Don't take your eye off the turkey. No, just kidding. He's saying, don't take your eye off the greatest gift that God gives us, which is himself. You know the word that Paul uses in the Greek there for train and for godliness is this word devotion, this devotion. He's going, look, 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 don't get distracted with anything else that would vie for your attention. Devote yourself to the greatest gift that God gives you, which is himself. Don't look to your left, don't look to your right, don't get distracted, train yourself, fix your eyes on your heavenly father. Now the question for us is then this morning, is how do we do that? How do we become people who even have the ability to fix our eyes on Jesus? And this is where the good news of the Christian faith becomes better news. A good news becomes better news because then what Paul says is he's going, you can't do it on your own. In fact, in order for you to fix your eyes on your heavenly father means that God had to first fix his eyes on you. 
Let me show you what I mean. Let's pivot to Philippians chapter three, starting in verse 10. The apostle Paul, same guy who wrote 1 Timothy, he says this. He says that I, Paul, may know Jesus, him is Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but pay attention here. But I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So what Paul's saying here is he's going, you know how I can devote myself to the greatest gift that God has given me? It's because I live in response to the fact that that God devoted himself to me first. You know, one of my favorite things right now about being a father, my daughter just passed the six month turn last week and we're entering that stranger danger phase. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? Where I'll pick her up and I'll take her into a setting where she doesn't, she doesn't know a lot of people and I'll be holding, I'll be holding my daughter and we'll, we'll be standing here and she's, she's looking at dad and then all of a sudden somebody will come walking through the door and they'll be like, Haven. And she'll, she'll look out and she'll see a stranger. She has no idea who they are and they have great intentions and what they'll do is they'll begin to move toward her and say, Haven, Haven. And you know what she does? She'll She'll turn around and she'll grab her father. Why? Because she knows her father. What Paul's saying here is he's saying, you know how we can train ourselves for godliness? You know how you can fix your eyes on your father? You know how you can hold on to your father? Is because your father is already holding you. Another way to say it is like this, we reach for our father because we're held by our father. This is the Christian life where he's saying, look, I'm not asking you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, get your life together, then come to God and God will go, we can work with this. The gospel is not that. The gospel is that God in eternity looking down upon his creation saying, I know they have no ability to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. So you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna move towards them. I'm gonna pick them up. And the way they're gonna fix their eyes on me is I'm gonna hold them right here. And I'm gonna show them what it looks like. Don't get distracted, rather train yourself for godliness, friends. And so then what do we do as the people of God with this? This is where our good news that became better news becomes even better news. Is because this isn't some, this isn't some past reality or we're not looking or fixing our eyes on some past image in history, but but Paul makes it really clear at the, here at the end that no, 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 this hope that you have, it's on a living God. Our God's not dead, he's alive. And so what he's saying is he's saying, look for the people, the people of God, what, what we have the ability to do is instead of looking to our left or to our right, and, and this is what he means by this, he's saying, look, I don't want you to look at anything as if it had more value than God himself. You know what we call that? Idolatry. I had a pastor one time ask me, Tim, where do idols come from? And immediately my mind went to Exodus when they fashion up the golden calf. And I'm like, ooh, they're like evil images that we create. And we, we, we create ourselves to, to worship instead of God. And he said, no. He said, idols are gifts from God. And he caught me off guard. He said, what? He said, what do you mean? Okay, God would not give us something to worship 
more than him. And it's like, absolutely right, but we still do. He's saying, no, 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 no. What an idol is, is a gift that God has given you that you find more precious than God himself, right? It's like the children loving the Christmas present more than mom or dad themselves. He's saying, don't do that. This is what distracts, he's like, look, our hope is on a living God. Our hope is on a God who didn't just look at us before the beginning of creation, but he looks at us right now. He lives, he breathes, he engages with us right now. God wants to give you himself right now. And you know what happens when the people of God receive that? Is all of a sudden, what Paul says, he goes, look, he said, you wanna know why you train yourself for this? He said, bodily exercise, it has some value. You might get six pack abs. You might feel really chiseled, really strong. But there's an inevitable reality to a good looking body is it's gonna go away. Six months of fatherhood has taught me that, right? Where all of a sudden you realize like everything that I might work for, everything that I might train for here, life circumstances, time, old age, it's gonna go away. It's not gonna last. He said, but you know what's beautiful about fixing our eyes on the greatest gift that God gives us, which is himself? Is he says, we're gonna do that for eternity. He said, all of a sudden we become a foreshadow, a picture of the world to come. This is what makes a believer a believer, is it not? Not that we live by some moral code, not that we have some kind of great ethic. No, 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 it's, it's as Jesus said in his gospels that the kingdom of heaven is like a, like a man who goes into a field and he digs up and he finds this treasure in the field. And so what does he do? He puts it back in, he buries it, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. Why? Because he found something of greater value than anything else that he had. This is the life of the follower of Christ. This is what Paul is saying to Timothy. He's going, Timothy, do not forget and do not get distracted that you found something that's better than everything else in life. You found the giver of life. You found the one in whom your soul was made for. So don't look to your left, don't look to your right. Keep your eyes on him. He's not dead, he's alive. And he's going to come again. Yeah, you can clap, you can clap. He's not dead, he's alive. And one day he's gonna come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. Will you stand with me, church? If you have it, I want you to go ahead and grab your communion elements. And we have some ushers around who have uh, some buckets. So if you, if you need one, you can raise your hand. We come to this moment in the service. And what I love about communion, a sacrament given to the church by the person of Jesus Christ that represents his body and his blood. And what this is, is it's a simple reminder. 
It's a reminder to us that the greatest gift God gives us is himself. On the night our beloved savior was betrayed, he looked at his followers and he said, this, this bread, it's my body, which is broken for you. It's broken for you. It's a gift for you. Every time you take this, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. Our beloved savior, broken, beaten, bruised, crucified on our behalf. Why? Because our gospel doesn't end at Genesis 3. He doesn't abandon his creation. He redeems his creation. Brothers and sisters, this is a gift from God given for the people of God. Let us partake. Likewise, our beloved Savior took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant poured out in my blood. So instead of you taking on a mentality where you're gonna have to get your act together and pull yourself up by your bootstraps, now, that's bad news because you're really bad at that. He said, I'm gonna wash you and make you clean instead. Instead of you making yourself clean, I'm gonna make you clean. Instead of you trying to climb up your father's leg to get on his lap, I'm gonna pick you up. I'm gonna do the work for you. So don't get distracted. Fix your eyes on me, the one who washes you and makes you new. Brothers and sisters, this is a gift from God, given for the people of God. Let's take it together. Can we respond in worship?